Notice power is connected with the suffering. They're connected together. God's plan is different from our plan, isn't it? We want the power without the suffering. Well, it doesn't work that way. Open your Bible this evening, please, to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians and chapter 3. We recently took three Sunday mornings and three Sunday sermons to talk about the transformed life. And we examined three amazing vows that will transform your life into something more wonderful, more beautiful, more exciting than you've ever known before. You know, human nature being what it is, we sort of, we have good memories, they're just on the shorter side. So we tend to sometimes forget and we'll tend to forget, you know, the answers to prayer. We'll tend to forget the blessings. We'll tend to forget all of the bounty that God gives us and so on. And we'll also tend to forget some of the, uh, the, the messages that we hear. And I really feel with all my heart that this was an important series of messages for us believers. And so, before we let too many weeks or months slip past us, what I'd like to do is press while the iron is hot. And uh, with it still reasonably in our memories, I'd like tonight to do a short summary review of my three sacred vows. And so I'd invite you to close your eyes as we have a word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, once again, we humble ourselves. We acknowledge that you are so awesome and wonderful and too glorious for words. There is no language on earth that can even begin to describe your wonder and your beauty and your greatness. Why, even if there's nothing to describe heaven, how much, how much more does language fail us when it comes to describing you? And we thank you that you do care and love us. And thank you that you're here in the midst of your people. And please help us tonight to remember again the messages that we've learned, the lessons. Father, use them, I pray, in all our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most Christians will realize, at least I hope they do, will realize that the main work of salvation lies with God. It's not up to man to redeem himself. We can't do it. Never could. The cost of getting into God's family has been underwritten by God himself. And he has provided everything we need to be saved. And our part in redemption is to repent of our sins, our sins that are keeping us away from God, keeping us out of heaven, opening the door to hell for us. Those sins, repenting of those sins and receiving Jesus Christ as if he were a free gift. And indeed, that's what he is, a free gift. God put eternal life into Jesus Christ. He didn't put it into baptism or communion. He put it into Jesus Christ. And either you have the Son or you don't. He that hath the Son hath life. That's eternal life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He or she that has not the Son of God has eternal death, doom, and damnation. 
And so the cost of becoming a son of God, the sonship, we will call it, the cost of sonship lies mainly with God. But not every Christian realizes that the cost of a transformed life lies with us. So the cost of getting into God's family mainly lies with God. Jesus paid it all. But the cost of becoming like Jesus now lies with us. Again, not, not in the, the aspect of um, something that would take years or decades to try and improve our nature. It's not that way at all. It's much simpler than that. But it, it, does, it does underscore the need for a transformed life. We can be saved and yet not properly living for the Lord and at the same time not experiencing the blessings that God would have us to experience. By making three sacred vows, we can have a transformed life. And what is a vow? A vow is simply a solemn promise made to God. And so the first vow is called service. And would you say that word out loud with me, please? Service. That's the first word. It means serving God more than serving yourself. With your Bible open at Colossians chapter 3, I'd like for you to read with me verses 23-24. Keep your seats, but we'll read 23 and 24 together. Let's go. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance For ye serve the Lord Christ. Well, that pretty much says it, doesn't it? When we talk about the vow of service, we're talking about making a change because we're so used to serving ourselves. When we're born, all we know is ourselves. And oftentimes we grow up thinking more about ourselves than other members of the family. When we get into adulthood, we carry all this baggage with us and we are looking out for number one. Now, not everyone is like that. There are some people who are very um, uh, selfless and do a lot of their service for others. You know, I think my dear wife is one of those people. If you've known Mrs. White for any length of time, you know she has a, a servant's heart. And she's at her happiest when she's serving others and making sure that others are looked after. And that is a quality that uh, has spoken to my heart for 40 years now. And one that I wish I had more of. But here, what we're talking tonight is we're talking serving God more than serving ourselves. And I think that this is a very important distinction to make. Serving God more than serving ourselves. And we have to start somewhere. And so we may start with thinking we're going to serve God for half an hour a day. How would you do that? You do that in your prayer closet. You can easily do that in your prayer closet. Half an hour goes by pretty quickly. If you've never in your life spent a half hour in devotions with God, then start. Start somewhere. Start with 10 minutes, 15 minutes or something. And then try and inch it up, increase it up a little bit. But the whole idea is to start. To start somewhere. Start somehow. You know, we oftentimes throughout life, we try and go on a diet of some sort. Many of us do. Not many of us succeed as much as we wish. 
but we do try and do something in the way of dieting usually and say, well, where do you start? Well, you have to start somewhere. And so you need some kind of plan or something. Maybe you're going to start cutting out donuts or something. At least cut them down from five a week down to three a week or something. You know, but you want to start somewhere. And in serving God, you want to start somewhere. You have to start. And once you get started, then the Lord can take you the next step. So this first sacred vow is its so important. It took me years to understand that this is the primary vow. This is where it begins. If you don't begin with this, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it will. If you want a transformed life, you need to do what Jesus did. Jesus came and gave his life. He served others. And if you want a transformed life, you need to do what he did. Now give your life to Jesus and start to serve him more than you're serving yourself. And the primary way, of course, is a life of service to God. Now the Lord Jesus, he told us, no man can serve two masters. For either he will love the one and uh, hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Some Christians think they can. Oh, I can do both. I can serve God and I can serve the things of the world and, and myself. And it doesn't work that way. So how do you know? God says so. That's how I know. You know, um, the sooner we come to recognizing the lordship and the ownership of Jesus over our lives, the sooner we're going to have great victories. Every great Christian man and woman, every single one, at some point recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ and submits to that. And the ownership of Jesus and recognizes the ownership of Christ over their life. Every single great Christian man, woman, or young person has come to that realization. Every great Christian has given their body to God according to what it says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And there's that word service again. And the payoff, I tell you, the payoff is handsome because God loves to reward his servants. God is excited when a Christian gives their body to God. When a Christian says, Lord, I want to start serving you more than serving myself. Would you please help me to do it? God is happy. God loves to answer prayers like that. And God loves to reward his servants. In Psalm 35, 27, it says, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to bow in prayer and give your body to the Lord today and then on Friday you're going to win the lotto. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that God is very pleased with you and he will cause you to prosper in various ways. He'll do it. And so this is the first sacred vow, the vow of service. And it must be a daily vow. It's not something you make once a year. 
It's something you do every day. It's a habit you want to get into, in fact. And what it boils down to is this. When you give your body to God and when you give your service to God, whether you're a student at school or whether you're an employee at the factory, it changes your life. You're no no longer just an employee. You're God's servant at that factory. You become God's emissary. You're no longer just a, a teenager in the home. You're God's teenage servant. When we take the time every day and acknowledge His ownership, His Lordship, and we give our body to God, and that's something we should be doing every day, and we say, Lord, I want to serve you today. I want to be your servant. I'm going to be at school. I'm going to be at work. I'm going to be out doing this, out doing that. God, I want to be your servant. Would you let me serve you today? And when you make a prayer commitment like that, that is the beginning of your transformed life. It doesn't begin before you make a commitment like that. And so... I want to suggest that this is a very special vow that each one of us needs to make in prayer every day. All right, now the second of the three sacred vows is called scriptures. Would you say that word with me, please? Scriptures. Now it means what we're talking about is the printed presence of God. The printed presence of God. We need to get a new vision of what our Bible is. If you ask me, apart from the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, I do believe that the greatest gift that God has given us is His written word. Because it doesn't change. The other books written by men, they're kind of changeable. But God's word doesn't change. It's rock solid. And it's God's word. It's an amazing book. The Bible is our shield against evil. It's our sword against Satan. It's our rock upon which we stand. It's the will of God in print. It's the mind of God in print. It's the mouth of God in print. It's the wisdom of God in print. It's our source of truth and instruction. It's the key that unlocks the promises to the power of Almighty God. Phew! And we've just scratched the surface. You see, this is more than just a book. This is a living organism. I'm all for, you know, having the Word of God, you know, in a, in a plaque up on the wall. I'm all for that. I'm all for having the Word of God on our cell phones. I'm all for that. But, I'm even more for having the printed page before us. There's something about holding that blessed old book that makes all the difference in the world. You know, this past Sunday morning, Pastor Silver was up here leading us in a chorus. Love is a flag flown high in the castle of my heart. So let it fly in the sky. And we took our Bibles and we waved them back and forth. And then we pressed the Bible to our heart. Well, it's not the same when all you have is a cell phone. Pressing that cell phone to your heart, it just doesn't, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same. Listen, I, 
I love the pictures of my wife, but I'd rather have my wife. Right? So that's why we need the blessed book. By the way, that's also a good testimony. When people see you carrying a Bible out of your house on your way to church. (laughs) That's a good testimony too. Boy, it used to be that we were allowed to have the Bible in the public schools. No can do. You can bring other things in, other religious artifacts, including knives, (laughs) those daggers, but you can't bring in the Bible. Don't you dare bring in the Bible. What's wrong with that picture? The Bible is like no other book ever, ever, ever. The Bible is a living organism. It's a living book. It's actually alive. It's alive because it's the living Word of God. And God is alive and His book is alive and we call it the Bible. It's alive because God is in the book. The Holy Spirit gives life to the words on the pages and that's why the Bible speaks to hearts. So many people feel that way. Before I was saved, my aunt, who's now in heaven, she suggested I start reading the Bible. The only Bible we had in the home was a King James Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible or about the different translations. I knew nothing. And so I didn't know where quite where to read. So I kind of opened it around the middle and there was the book of Psalms. So I thought I'd start there and I'd read these Psalms. Hadn't a clue what they were talking about. Couldn't understand some of the words and the these and thous and some verbs had an E-T-H on the end and boy, I didn't talk that way. I didn't learn English like that. But I read it anyhow. And here's the thing. I wasn't even saved, but it was speaking to my heart. And it was encouraging me. It was warming my heart. I felt good. I felt good in in my heart. And so I kept reading. Again, not understanding what I'm reading. But I felt good. The Bible was speaking to me. That's what the Bible is supposed to do. That's what you'd want out of a friend. When you walk up to your friend and wave, wouldn't you want them to acknowledge and wave and talk to you and converse with you? Wouldn't you want that out of a friend? Imagine a friend that was just stone-faced. You know, they look like death, you know, the coffin or something. You walk up to your friend, you have this conversation. Not the same, is it? You want to have some interaction. The Bible will give you interaction because it's alive. It's God's book. There's no book like it. The Bible is absolutely vital to a transformed life. You cannot have a transformed life without the Word of God. There are Christians who who say, I have trouble reading the Bible, uh, so I just don't do it. Well, you're not going to get a transformed life. Remember, it's the difference of fluttering on earth down below on earth with the turkeys, flutter with the turkeys, or soaring high with the eagles. It's, it's that kind of difference. It's the difference of being a little worm or caterpillar or being a beautiful butterfly. It's that kind of transformation. And God wants it for his children. But we have to do it God's way. And the first step is where we make a commitment to him daily to be his servant. And the second step is where we make a commitment to get into the Bible. 
where we make the Bible a central part of our lives. Central part of, the, of our lives. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 2 Peter 2.2 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're not going to get any of that unless we spend time with God in His book. God wants to give us transformed lives, but we have to do it His way. Take your Bible, please, and turn back to the book of Joshua. The sixth book of the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1. You know, our Lord Jesus, our lovely Lord Jesus, He came down from heaven. He left heaven's splendor. He left the Father's presence. And He came down to earth and He told us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And in Joshua chapter 1, God spoke to Joshua, that great leader of Israel. And he said, in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So very important. God was telling Joshua, I want you to be successful, my son. And in order for you to be successful, you need my word. You need the presence of my word in your life, in your heart, your soul, your spirit. You, you spend time with my word. You meditate on my word in the morning and meditate on my word in the evening. And I will make you prosper. I will cause you to be the head and not the tail. I will cause you to be the, the lender, not the borrower. I will cause you to ride upon the wings as eagles. You honor my word and I will honor you. And this is God's way. We're talking about making the Bible an absolute central part of our daily lives. And the key is to begin increasing. That's the key. Don't make a goal to read the entire Bible through from now till Sunday. You know, that's going to be my goal. You might be able to do it. It takes about 70 hours of straight reading to do it so it's possible but chances are you're not going to reach that goal but you could read a few chapters a day you could get into the book and start saying where are you lord where are you and play hide and seek with god where are you where are you and then start playing hide and seek god what is your will for my life what is your will for my life you want to study the scriptures to find out more about god more about His will for your life. And you want to study the Scriptures to find out His promises. Because when God says, if you do this, I'll do that. And He makes these promises, you want to know them. You want to be able to stand on those promises and go to God confidently, by faith. Lord, You said it. And I'm believing it. That's how we get our prayers answered, folks. Too many of us we crawl around, we, you know, don't even look up. God, you, you wouldn't want to answer a prayer for me, would you? Oh, I didn't think so. Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. 
and then off we go. That's not praying. That's not coming boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. That's not taking God's promise and saying, God, you said these words. And I'm going to take you at your word. And that's the kind of prayer power we need. But that's not possible without the word of God. We must have the word of God. I want to encourage you, please, to start learning to develop a daily holy habit. Do you have any habits in life? Well, make this your best one. Develop a holy addiction. Become addicted to the Word of God. You need your fix every day with the Word of God. The day is just not going to be the same. It's not going to be good unless you spend time in the Word of God. You have to have it. You crave it. You desire it. You hunger. You thirst after the Word of God. When we start doing that, we're going to find that the Word of God is going to open up like living fountains. And we're going to start learning far more about God, far more about His will for our lives, and far more about the promises that He makes. And so our first sacred vow of service, it shows faith in the purpose of our lives. What's the purpose of my life? It's to live for God. Our second Holy sacred vow shows faith in the promises of God. The promises of God. So now we we have power in prayer. We can go to God. And I want to encourage every one of us, every day, to get an extra large dose of the Word of God. Now, this brings us to our third and our final sacred vow, which is suffering. Please say that word with me. Suffering. What's the first word? Service. What's the second word? Scriptures. What's the third word? Suffering. The third sacred vow will transform your life into something wonderful and glorious for God more than anything else. It will become, believe it or not, if you do this right, suffering will become one of your greatest allies Not your greatest foe, your greatest ally. Imagine going through life, not afraid of suffering anymore. You know, there's a lot of people that have a fear of suffering. Some people, with some people, it's fear of needles. Oh, needles. For other people, it's fear of dentists and the sound of the drill. You know, there's a lot of different things to be afraid of. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Imagine if you had no more fear. Imagine that. No more fear. Now, I don't mean to do silly things like to drive at 180 miles an hour, you know, blindfold. I'll do it because I'm not afraid to do it. Well, that's stupid. But I'm talking about going through life and living for God. And you know, all that will live for For God shall suffer persecution. You know that. The Bible teaches that. But imagine not being afraid of it anymore. Having outgrown that fear. And that's what we're going to find with suffering. It's not a foe. It's a friend. It's an ally. In fact, suffering is going to become our greatest source of power and strength. Not weakness and, and, you know, sniveling. 
with power and strength. That's what will happen if we do this right. We made the observation how that exercise causes microscopic tears in the muscle tissue. And that's why we have sore, achy muscles when we exercise. But what the body does is it rushes in to solve the problem. And it builds new muscle material and adds it to the old muscle material, which helps heal those wounds, takes away the, the soreness, and results in stronger muscles. And that's what we want. We all want to have good, strong muscles, but we don't want to have the pain it takes to get them. But there's no other way. You want that muscle to be strong, you've got to exercise it. And they, they talk about, uh, is it called isometric? Is that the right word for it? Where you press, you know, against sort of thing. And they say that's one of the, the better exercises that you can do. Isometric kind of exercise. I don't know for sure. I'm not uh, skilled, trained in that area. But I do know that when we do exercise properly, it causes these little tears. And that causes the pains. But then the body rushes in and heals it. And so there's no other way to get the payoff, you see. That's what we want, is we want the good, strong muscles. That's the payoff. But the only way to get it is through the exercise and the tearing of the muscles. That's the only way. Remember the high school coach? He says, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. Well, at least that's what he used to say anyhow. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians now, would you please? In the New Testament book, 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12. And we pretty much have the high school coach here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We have the Apostle Paul talking about a thorn given him in the flesh. So this was some kind of physical problem. Boy, he suffered. And he went to God three times asking God. And this is the Apostle Paul praying. He knew how to pray. And he went to God three times. So it must have been something very serious if it was just some tiny little, you know, a splinter in the end of his finger. He wouldn't have gone to God even once. He would have pulled it out and away he went. You remember when he got bit by a viper? Picking up some sticks. Got bit by a snake, a viper. Well, he didn't go to God three times, two times, or one time. He just shook the thing off into the fire. And he probably had the pain of the bite. But that was the end of it. But whatever this was, the thorn in the flesh given to him by Satan, it was serious. It probably somehow affected or threatened his ministry. And so he went to God, not once, not twice, but three times. And God answered him, not once, not twice, but three times. Leave it alone, Paul. I gave it to you. I want you to have it because I will give you my grace. My grace for thee is sufficient. That's where Paul learned this wonderful lesson. And so now he's our high school coach and he's basically telling us no pain, no gain. So look, please, at verse number 9. Read it out loud with me, please. 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Let's go. 
And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Underline those words if you haven't already. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice power is connected with the suffering. They're connected together. God's plan is different from our plan, isn't it? We want the power without the suffering. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, even the Lord Jesus went through the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection before all power was given unto him. Paul here now is experiencing that same principle. The suffering and then the power. God wants to put the power of Christ on our lives. But he won't do it unless it's through the suffering. You say, why is that? Well, it's explained to us here in verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure. That's why. Human nature being what it is. Imagine. If you had all of a sudden unlimited wealth, imagine if you had all of a sudden unlimited wealth, how many of us would have the power to use it properly? I wouldn't. <laughs> because at some point, at, on some day, I'd be tempted to use that wealth for something I shouldn't use it for. I think we're all pretty much in the same boat. One of the, the saddest things that society does with some talented young people is to give them millions of dollars overnight. Why look at this young man. He can take a stick of wood and slap a little black round hard rubber puck and put it in the, in the goals. Put it right in the net. Why? Let's give him $10 million. Why, here's another young man. He can take a stick with a, a club head on the end and whack a, a little golf ball 300 yards, landed six inches from the cup. Let's give him $12 million. And one of the big prolific problems with all of the professional sports people up in that arena, is drugs. Drugs, prostitution, wild parties. That's what they do. That's what people do. Excess. You see, God knows our fallen human nature. And even the Apostle Paul, if he was subject to some sort of weakness of the flesh, God knew what he was doing. So he added just the right kind of suffering to make Paul humble and dependent on God for the rest of his life. And then God gave Paul incredible power. And God wants you and I to have the power. Not so that we can go out and just say, all right, I've had it with this nation or with this city or with that neighbor across the street. 
fire from heaven come, come down. Not that kind of insanity, no, but power to serve God. Wonderful power. What kind of power? Oh, I think that it, it, it comes in various ways, but God will allow it. He'll give it to us through suffering when we will receive the suffering that, that God sends. Now, please understand, we're not talking that if you get sick, you should not seek medical help. We're not saying that at all, because that is not correct. If you get sick, by all means, seek medical help. You should do that. We're not saying that if your car breaks down, you shouldn't get it fixed. By all means, you should get it fixed. But sometimes God will allow suffering that cannot be fixed. Or at least can't be fixed easily. Let's put it that way. Sometimes God will allow that kind of infirmity, that kind of, of suffering. Maybe it's some sort of persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I do. I suffer persecution. I suffer a lot of persecution that you'll never hear about. You'll never know of. Because I don't tell you. It's not right. It's not proper. A lot of the persecution I suffer, I just keep it to myself or share it with my wife. Or there, Listen, there are some times I don't even share it with my wife. And I think, well, if I were to tell her this, it would just be a burden to her. So sometimes I don't even tell her. But I always tell the Lord. I always talk it over with the Lord. And the Lord always comforts. And so this third vow of suffering comes to us cloaked in mystery. What is this suffering? What's happening to me? Why me? That's usually what we'll often say. Why is this happening? And what we need to do is pull the veil, pull the cloak away, and we'll say, hey, wait a minute. This isn't a foe, it's a friend. This is not some stranger. This is going to be my best friend sent to me from God. And God wants us to welcome the suffering that he sends. And he wants us to embrace and to kiss the suffering that he sends. Because he knows what he's doing. The Apostle James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now listen to what he says. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He's not counseling us to squirm and to turn and to fight and to run away from any kind of suffering. He's telling us to have patience. The word patience literally means to abide under. To abide under. Patience. That's the idea of it. There's some kind of dark cloud God has brought into your life. You abide there until God does one of two things. Either God takes the cloud away or God will remove you from underneath the cloud. And so if we would look upon suffering as a messenger of good news bringing to us the wonderful power of God, I think that, <laughs> I think, I think that it, it would just change our outlook on suffering. The power of Christ will give us power over the world, power over the flesh, and power over the devil. The power of Christ will give us power at the throne of grace when we go to pray. The power of Christ will give us power over our anger, power over our fears, power over our guilt. 
This is what we want, folks, the power of Christ to be able to positively influence people around us. I'll tell you what, a Christian without the power of Christ is a powerless Christian. A Christian without the power of Christ is living an untransformed life. Today, I want to encourage you to make your peace with your heaven-sent friend named suffering. Today, I want you to start to welcome and embrace this messenger called suffering so that he can give you God's power. Every day, get alone with God and start to make him these three sacred vows. Archibald or Irwin was born into a wealthy family in Scotland in 1857. As a young man, he came to know Christ as his Savior. And he was blessed to be able to sit under the electrifying, Holy Spirit-filled, powerful preaching of D.L. Moody in 1882. And it changed his life and his outlook. And then in 1885, he attended what was known as the uh, Keswick Convention, in which again, these people were earnestly seeking to lay their lives before God and looking to God for, for blessing. And all of this so transformed his life that he devoted his life to missionary service. And he went to China with Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission. And he served the Lord in China from 1886 to 1911. And I think that's about 25 years that he served the Lord. Now, through his constant communion with the Lord Jesus all his years in China, the Chinese people that he was ministering to gave him a nickname. They called him Mr. Glory Face because the radiance of his face. He radiated Jesus Christ. That came from a transformed life. And people saw it. I encourage you. Get alone with God every day. And make these three sacred vows. Make a vow of service. Tell him that you're going to start. To serve him more than serving yourself. And this will be the purpose of your life. Make the second vow of scriptures and get into the word of God and start looking to know God more and know his will more and to know his promises more. And this, of course, will, will, will give you the, the prayer aspect of it when you know his promises. You know his purpose for your life, that's to live for him. You know the promises in prayer. And number three, you make the sacred vow of suffering. And you ask God to help you to become friends with this servant of his called suffering. And to welcome and embrace suffering. And this will give you the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll have it all. The purpose, the promises, and the power will come when you make the three sacred vows of service and scripture and suffering. You are really going to plug in. And this is what I encourage you to do. I, and I'm recommending every Christian at 
our church to do the very same thing. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.